Mr. Ravi Kant, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today at the Grand Reunion weekend. You spoke about the rise of multinationals from emerging markets and the your case of Tata Motors, of which you're the, the vice chairman. Let's start by looking at the growth of India. And, and you mapped it out over the past 50 years, saying we'd soon be in double-digit figures. How significant is that growth? Well, after the independence for three or three and a half decades, we had what is called Hindu rate of growth of 2 to 3%. Then we accelerated it to about 5 to 5.5%. Then after liberalization in the 90s, uh, it uh, gathered steam and it became about 7.5-8%. Uh, for last few years, it has maintained that level, barring last couple of years. But again, it's gathering momentum and it should be close to 10 uh, percentage points. And while people look at the growth of India and compare it with the other so-called tiger economies, such as such China or the BRIC economies of Brazil and South America, actually, you also dug down into the psychology of the Indian growth figures and looked at PDI, didn't you? Personal disposable income. Why do you think that's important? That is important because uh, in a developed society, there's a lot of homogeneity uh, of uh, the income, even though there may be outliers where people earn substantially more than the average uh, person. But in India, there is a emerging middle class, and there's a lot of people who are what is called below the poverty line. And therefore, you need to understand where the consuming class is. The consuming class, therefore, is the so-called middle class, which is comprising 35 to 40 percent of the country which for 1.1 billion is, is still 400,000, uh, 400 million people. And uh, therefore, if you see their uh, increase in disposable income, you find that it is dramatically changing, and they become, therefore, a very powerful consuming class. And I know we'll talk about the case of the nano in a minute, but, but from these emerging economies now, you've got what you call price-disruptive innovation. In fact, that, that all of the pricing, the products of the developed world can be challenged by these innovations that cater for these new emerging mass markets. Yes, sure. Uh, I think uh, the earlier flow of uh, technology or products or services used to be from created in developed country and then sent to the developing or what is now called emerging countries. But a realization is dawning upon uh, people that you need to create products which will suit the emerging economies uh, and therefore you kind of work at the bottom and go upwards. And it is in that sense that many products and services have been created in the recent past which are at a fraction of the value of what it would be available at in developed economies. I mean, I talked about, say, contract operation done at $30 in India, whereas you'll pay the same uh, operation uh, for almost $3,000. So, or water purifier, or even the case of our Tata Nano, you'll see. So there's a whole disruptive pricing, and you're creating products, successful products, commercial products at these prices. And then people will begin to question later on, 
if I can get something for this price, why should I be going for something far more expensive? And, and do you think, in the case of Tata Motors, that you hit on that early, that you saw that this would be the future in, in terms of not trying to compete with established Western brands, like let's take like the, the Jaguar or the Rolls-Royce or, or sort of the, the Mercedes or, or you know, the, these really elite cars, but you saw this market and, and decided that's where you should position Tata Motors? Well, of course, we don't have to compete with Jaguar because we own Jaguar, so <laughs> that's a different matter. And Jaguar will compete with Mercedes and BMWs of the world. But as far as Tata Motors brands are concerned, definitely we want to create something which will be used by a very large number of people in the country. And how, therefore, we can have people realize their dreams of owning a car. A, a great majority of people would never believe that they could own a car. And now suddenly you brought it into the reach, a realm of possibility of owning a car. And that's a great sense of pride you have given to people. It's not to do with money. It's to do with a sense of pride and sense of uh, knowing that I can have this. And I think that's a dream realized. And that's a very, very powerful uh, kind of uh, motivator that you unleash in the marketplace. And you call that reverse innovation, don't you? That, that, you know, that, that you've turned around, if you like, demand and supply, what people want because you've gone out, you've seen the mass markets, and, and then you've produced a product for them. Absolutely. Uh, it is a kind of a reverse innovation in the sense that it is first created in the emerging market and then taken on to other developed markets. Take case of Nano itself. The kind of response that we got uh, when we uh, unveiled the Nano uh, a couple of years ago, we found that, okay, there's such a huge demand, so we decided to create a Nano for Europe and Nano for the U.S., it is not to say the same product, but the philosophy, the positioning of the product would be same. But to cater to the taste and the, and the needs of the market here, of the consumers here, or the regulatory requirement here. So it will be a different product, but the philosophy and positioning remains the same. And you told that lovely story of the production schedule of the Nano from about 2003 to, was it 2007, where, where everything else might have changed a little bit, but the price remained the same and you did meet all the regulatory requirements. Did you ever doubt that you'd be able to achieve that? I never doubted, uh, because once you have uh, doubt in your mind, then you can never go forward. So I never doubted that we can't do it. And, uh, and therefore, I kept challenging my people, uh, even though the concept of the car itself had changed, the commodity prices had shot through the roof, one thing which had not changed the price of the car to the consumer. And there were a couple of occasions when we felt that the project had to be abundant because we couldn't meet the price promise. But then we came back on the rails again, and finally I'm glad that the whole team was able to do this. And when it was unveiled, then Mr. Tata said, the price is 100,000 rupees because a promise is a promise. And, and one of the things tips you gave was that when you develop a brand like that that goes into several different markets that you have to be seen to be a local company in the country of origin and you've achieved that haven't you 
Well, we are trying that. All I can say is that that's a template we are trying to create uh, wherever we go outside the country to be seen as the local company in that country. Uh, after taking over uh, Devo uh, commercial vehicles in South Korea, we wanted to be seen as a South Korean in South Company. After taking over a bus company in Spain, we wanted to be seen as a Spanish company in Spain. And now after taking over Jaguar Land Rover, we want to be seen as a British company in Britain. I mean, that's the philosophy that we're trying to, to, to espouse, that we should not be seen as an Indian company, but we should merge and connect with the local society in whichever uh, country we are in. And your predictions for the future in, in terms of technology change, emerging markets, reverse innovation, the global world in which we're now operating, you said that it was an uncertain unpredictable world full of complexities but you needed to in terms of your ambition create the most respected brand and the most sustainable over a hundred years that's a very tough call isn't it because you know the world is competing with one another in markets like never before that's why I never said that we want to number one in automobile uh, industry worldwide but we do want to have scale and size which will ensure our existence and sustainability because we do need some critical size and we expect to achieve that size so that we are sustainable in the long run. However, more than that is we want to be seen as a respectable company. People should talk highly of us. People should, should say that this is a company which one should emulate, one should follow because of the way they deal with things they deal with uh, things in the society. And does that sort of complexity, unpredictability and uncertainty of, of the world's markets keep you awake at night? Or, or is it a challenge that you rise to? Because what strikes me as operating as the vice chairman of Tata Motors, you've got to know what the next trend is. If not, you go under. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's what keeps you awake. Uh, not knowing what catastrophic event can occur. And I mean, seeing, seeing what's happened to BP or seeing what's happened to us as far as uh, uh, location of a new plant is concerned and seeing so many other things, the, the changes which are happening, I think it is many times very scary. And how do you therefore keep your cool and keep rooted to your, your goals and ambitions? Mr. Ravi Kant, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today, the rise of multinationals from emerging markets, the case of, of Tata Motors. It's been a great privilege to have you here with us today at the Grand Reunion Weekend. Thank you very much indeed for giving me the opportunity.